guys, they're trying to bring back COVID. It's suddenly become pretty clear what the Democrats' strategy is for the midterms in just a couple months. What is it? It's July now. So August, September, October, November, a little bit less than four months until the midterm elections. And all of a sudden we see what the Democrats are going to do strategy-wise to try to convince the American people to vote for them. They're not going to talk about Biden's record. They can't because Biden has an abysmal record. His actions are, are hurting us, the American people. And so they're trying to bring back COVID. And the reason that they're trying to bring back COVID is because in 2020 or in the lead up to the 2020 election, so in, in late winter, spring and summer of 2020, um, the Democrats used fear of COVID, fear of big gatherings, fear of catching this Chinese communist virus to justify rigging the election, to justify the drop boxes, the universal mail-in ballots, the absentee voting with no justification, the degradation of signature verification. And they're, they're, they need to do that again. They realize, they're panicking actually. The Democrats realize that given the horrible economy, given inflation being at 9.1%, given gas prices, given all the polls, even leftist run polls that show that people do not like Joe Biden, that they want him replaced as the 2024 Democratic presidential nominee, given the fact that people think he's old, that people think that he's senile, um, rigging the election is essentially all the Democrats have. Their, their only other option is I saw a video this weekend um, that I thought exemplified exactly what the Democrats are the most scared of. And it's a video of Pete Buttigieg, uh, transportation secretary, and he's actually bragging in the video that the fact that we are paying so much more for gasoline for our cars is making people more likely to buy electric vehicles, which is exactly what these radical leftists like Pete Buttigieg actually want to happen. We're, we're for cutting the cost of electric vehicles, because when you have an electric vehicle, then you're also going to be able to, to save on gas, but you got to be able to afford it in the first place. Right. right. Now, we're actually starting to see on some models, the, the costs come to where even if the, the, your car payment's a little higher, your gas payment will be a little lower and you come out ahead. But the prices still need to come down mm -hmm. for most Americans to be able to get in an EV. So basically what he means is he's not talking about the price of the electric vehicle itself coming down um, it just in and of itself. He's talking about comparative to how much you would pay for gasoline if you use a traditional vehicle here. And this, this is exactly what the Democrats don't want the American people to be focusing on going into the 2022 midterm elections. This is what they're trying to distract from. It's like the mainstream media didn't really come to their senses, uh, given all of these articles that we've seen, you know, even from the New York Times saying, oh, Biden is old. Is he, is he stretching the boundaries of what it means to be both aged and the president of the United States? They did not suddenly see the light and realize that Biden Biden is senile, they're panicking. And age is simply the, the easiest and the most politically neutral scapegoat to get rid of Biden for Democrats to get rid of their own president without admitting that Biden's radical leftist policies, which the left still likes, are actively hurting the American people and turning off voters. Um, and by the way, the fact that the fact that the New York Times and other cable news outlets like CNN and MSNBC, the fact that they're talking about this all the time plays into a very interesting poll that I also saw earlier today. Um, a Gallup poll said that only 11% of Americans are uh, have a good deal of confidence in cable news and only 16% of Americans have confidence in print news. 53% of the American public have little, very little or no confidence at all in TV news. And this is exactly why this, 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 the, the fact that the New York Times and other, other mainstream outlets are suddenly talking about Biden's age, suddenly talking about replacing him in 2024, because maybe he's not mentally all there. It's a trick 
to try to fool the American people into getting rid of him, but still electing another Democrat. And um, the mainstream media is trying to manipulate our behavior, but we, the American people, see this. So back to COVID for a second. So this is all that the left has. They have this strategy that worked for them in 2020, which is trying to fear monger to the point that people are so paranoid, they're so willing to give, give away, hand away their rights and their freedoms that the Democrats can easily rig the elections. So Dr. Deborah Burks, you remember the duo, Fauci and Burks, Dr. Deborah Burks uh, published a new book, And what we find in her book, I read her book, what we find in her book is quite revealing. And that's what I want to talk about today, because it shows us exactly what the Democrats are going to do over the next three and a half months. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. I love Genucel Plant Stem Cell Therapy. I have used it all over my face, under my eyes, and it cleared up the dry flakiness and even reduce my forehead lines. Someone even asked me if I had surgery or procedures done. Nope, just Genucel. Thank you. That, my friends, is a testimonial from Samantha, who lives in Arcadia, California. Genucel has sold over 1 million products to women and men across this great country of ours, and everyone falls in love with the results. Fine lines, forehead wrinkles, dark spots, even those annoying bags and puffiness, gone right before your eyes. Best of all, guaranteed results in as little as 12 hours or your money back. Now see the difference for yourself with 65% off their most popular packages. Just go to genucel.com slash Liz. That's 65% off all customer favorites, including the classic under eye bags and puffiness treatment. If you visit my URL, it's genucel.com slash Liz, and you enter my promo code at checkout, my promo code is Liz, L-I-Z, you will get an extra 20% off. Order today and get their summer essential, their dark spot corrector, absolutely free with your order. Go to genucel.com slash Liz. It's spelled G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Liz. That's genucel.com slash Liz. Okay, before we get into the COVID stuff, Nancy Pelosi's husband, this story made me, it, it kind of made me laugh just because she's so corrupt and she doesn't even try to hide it anymore. Nancy Pelosi's husband just spent $5 million purchasing stock um, in in a computer chip company, a, a company that manufactures the chips that we need to run our computers and our cars. And in and of itself, I guess this is pretty neutral. It, it doesn't really matter, except for the fact that Nancy Pelosi's husband made this $5 million purchase just one week before Congress is supposed to uh, pass a $52 billion, that's billion with a B, subsidy bill that will, subsidy bill for computer chip companies. So, oh, how exactly did Paul Pelosi know that this was going to happen? And how would Paul Pelosi profit if he were able to know ahead of time that the stock price of these, com- these computer chip companies that are about to get billions of dollars in government subsidies is about to go through the roof? Oh, I think that's called insider trading. Um, it, there, is, there is a specific name for it, too, in politics. It's called corruption. It's when government officials spend your money and make themselves rich. And Pelosi, this got so much play that Pelosi's office actually responded to this. And this is what she said, or a spokesperson for Pelosi said, rather. Um, The speaker does not own any stocks. As you can see from the required disclosures with, with which the speaker fully cooperates, those transactions are marked SP for spouse. The speaker has no prior knowledge or subsequent involvement in any transactions. End quote. I read that and I thought, oh, wow, if that's not the glibest little lie you ever heard, Um, the speaker does not own any stocks. Yeah, but your husband does. Your husband does, and you're married to him, and you benefit from his financial transactions. And even if she discloses this, the speaker has no prior knowledge. 
It's not the speaker who has to have prior knowledge of this. It's whether she's giving information to her husband, who's then making the decision to purchase these, the, this, this $5 million worth of stock based on what Nancy Pelosi has told him is going on behind the scenes in negotiations in Congress one week before Congress is supposed to pass a $52 billion subsidy bill. This, and she, any subsequent involvement in any transactions. What does that mean? Like you didn't hit the button on your computer. You didn't call your broker. Nobody thought that you did. We thought that you gave information to your husband who then used that information to enrich you, which is cheating. It's insider trading. It's absolute corruption. And she's so blatant about her corruption. It's in that sense. I'm never surprised when politicians are corrupt, not to sound cynical. I'm always shocked because it's immoral. I'm never surprised because this is what a politician is. This is what politicians do. But it is jaw-dropping the audacity that politicians have sometimes to be this blatant about it, not even to try to hide it, just to the thumb their noses at us right before our very eyes just flaunt the fact that they're, they're, they're corrupt swamp creatures and that they don't care that they're getting rich while we aren't. It's these same corrupt fools, by the way, who are trying to bring back COVID. And thank goodness that only 1% of voters actually rank COVID-19 or COVID-19 policies as their top priority for what they care about right now and going into the midterms. I don't know why the Democrats haven't um, looked at this poll, haven't adjusted their behavior um, according to this poll as they typically do. Perhaps it's because they don't actually care what people care about. They just know that that COVID is a good medium. It's a good tool to grab more power and rig the elections for 2022. But they are starting to bring this back. Fauci himself is basically, went on TV and started lecturing us about wearing a mask, even if other people aren't. Because you go into a situation where many people are not wearing masks is not a reason for you not to wear a mask. Okay, can't you just picture Fauci in an airport or in a big party? He's the only one wearing a mask. Everyone else is common sense. Everyone else knows that they're baloney and Fauci's just walking happily along wearing a mask. Uh, no thanks, no thanks. So the White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator, his name is Dr. Ashish Jha. He says that uh, not only should you choose as an individual to wear a mask, he's actually advocating for mask mandates at the, at the local and state government level. No, I have to say, I've been traveling again this week on airplanes, in airports, so few people wearing masks. And in New York City, where they have a 15% positivity rate, uh, the New York Times described it as kind of a meh reaction to this variant. So what do you do? Yeah, so first of all, I think it's really important to remind people of the science, the public health science. And the public health science is very clear. If you're in a crowded indoor space, that's especially if it's poorly ventilated, uh, wearing a mask reduces your risk of infection and reduces your risk of spreading it to others. So we've got to continue to encourage people to do that. Uh, we've been doing a lot to make testing widely available. It's a really good way of, of slowing down the spread. And then encouraging people to get you know vaccinated and get up to date on their vaccines. And then obviously, as I said earlier, uh, if you end up having a breakthrough infection, getting treated because we don't want people ending up in the hospital and treatments are working really well. And, and L.A. County announced this week that if cases continue on the same trajectory, they will have an indoor mask mandate. It looks likely that that will happen. I assume that's something you support. Should should other states look at this? 
Yeah, my view on this has been for really for two years, well before I came into this current role, my view on this has been very clear, which is uh, local jurisdictions, cities, uh, counties, states uh, should make decisions about mask mandates because communities are different uh, and their patterns of transmission are different. Um, that said, CDC has very clear guidance on this as well through their, through their COVID community levels. And, and the CDC recommendation is that when you're in a high zone, that sort of orange zone, as L.A. County is, uh, you know, people wearing masks indoors is really important and it really will make a difference. Okay, so the comment that he made that struck that stuck out to me the most is when he said the position that I have held for the past two years, even before he was part of the Biden administration, is that these decisions, these mask mandates should be implemented by local governments. And at, at first glance, this seems like, okay, that's that's what we as conservatives stand for. We want local governments to make decisions as, as many as they can. And if the local government can't make it, then you go to the state government. If it can't be handled at the state level, then you go to the federal government. But it, as local as possible is best. It's 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 a federalist attitude, but e even more than just at the state level, at the local level. But we're going to get to this in just a second when we start analyzing um, Dr. Burks's book. This is a strategy and a tactic that the left has been utilizing during during the in the entire last two years related to COVID, where where the executive branch of the federal government, first it was the bureaucrats in the Trump administration, and then it was the Biden administration and bureaucrats like Dr. Ashish Jha, um, they they write the guidance. They they essentially tell local governments what's expected from them. But then when local governments issue these mandates and the people are unhappy about it, the federal government can say, "Oh no no, our hands are clean. This is this is something that's handled at the local level. This is not something that that we did. This was this was your state representatives. This was your governor. This was your mayor that that believes that this is best for your locality. But the the directions or the directives." to these local government officials is coming from the Biden administration. They're getting pressure from the federal government. And like I said, we'll get into more of that in a minute because Dr. Burks talks about that in her book. But but what Dr. Ajish Jha is saying is actually anti-science. He says that masks in general really will make a difference. And we know studies show that that is not true. Studies show the efficacy for surgical masks versus cloth masks versus N95s or KN95s are very different. He, def he doesn't differentiate that at all. He also talks about testing. What difference does testing make if you're not symptomatic? It doesn't make a difference at this point. It's just a way of identifying more cases so they can perpetuate this narrative. But you'll notice that the two things that he's calling for as a solution to this are vaccines and these, these other pharmaceuticals that he wants people to take, not ivermectin, um, not hydroxychloroquine, these other uh, pharmaceuticals that profit big pharma. So his two solutions or his three solutions are give the government more power, get your vaccine, which profits big pharma and Fauci, and take these other pharmaceuticals, which uh, have questionable efficacy, but also profit big pharma. This, this is a very questionable strategy, a very questionable strategy, but it's perfectly in line with Dr. Burks, what Dr. Burks admits in her book. She tries to paint herself as some kind of hero, some kind of, um, some kind of minority within the Trump administration who was just trying to save the American people. But what she actually says is much more striking. Um, her book is called Silent Invasion. And let's go through some of these some of these biggest revelations. Before we do that, though, if you have not subscribed to my show, if you could, I would greatly appreciate that. If you could go over to Apple Podcasts, hit the subscribe button. If you could give me a five-star rating and write me a little note, tell me what you like most about the show in the review section. I would greatly appreciate it. 
If you prefer to watch this show on video, head on over to YouTube, go to Liz Wheeler Show, that is the name of my channel, and hit subscribe, and also hit the bell so you get notifications every time a new episode or a new video drops. Again, I would greatly appreciate that. Okay. Dr. Burks's book. Um, it's 500 pages. And notably about her book, she actually doesn't make, she doesn't have any citations in her book. Usually books that are based on, on science are the last third of the book, at least the last 100 pages, are just rife with hundreds and hundreds of news citations and scientific studies so that when you, the reader, read the book and you say, oh, wow, that's a fact, that's a claim that, that this, this, this doctor is making or this author is making, you can go and reference that. You can, you can read it for yourself. Dr. Burks does no such thing. This is 500 pages without citations, which is really strange. Um, but it does play into this, this technocracy that the left has tried to push on us where you, the sorry person, aren't qualified to understand a study. You should just listen and obey without questioning to the public health experts like Dr. Burks, who, as a reminder, was never elected by the American people. She was appointed. She is a swamp creature. She is a bureaucrat. She is uh, she is a facet of the administrative state. And I think she's no, there's no better example, actually, of the administrative state than Dr. Deborah Burks. And you will see why. In the early days of the COVID pandemic, she said that, or she admits in her book that she actually wanted the US to be locked down the way that Italy was locked down. This is what she writes in her book. She said, we had to make these her advice or her recommendations palatable to the administration by avoiding the obvious appearance of a full Italian lockdown. At the same time, we needed the measures to be effective at slowing the spread, which meant matching as closely as possible what Italy had done, a tall order. We were playing a game of chess in which the success of each move was predicated on the one before it. At this point, I wasn't about to use the words lockdown or shutdown. If I had uttered either of those words in early March, after being at the White House only one week, the political, non-medical members of the task force would have dismissed me as too alarmist, too doom and gloom, too reliant on feelings and not facts. They would have campaigned to lock me down and shut me up. I left the rest, she said, unstated, that this, she's talking now about uh, 15 days to slow the spread. So I should have prefaced that. Okay, so 15 days to slow the spread. She said, I left the rest unstated that this... 15 days was just a starting point. No sooner had we convinced the Trump administration to implement our version of a two-week shutdown than I was trying to figure out how to extend it. Dear Lord, it's, it's at the point now where two years later, I'm just kind of like, well, that's what I said at the time. That's what a lot of us were saying at the time. That's what a lot of the American people felt at the time, that this was a fraud from the beginning, that it never, it, it wasn't intended to be two weeks. It was just a way of making it, um, making it chewable to the American people so the American people wouldn't freak out. She says, 15 days to slow the spread was a start, but I knew it would be just that. I didn't have the numbers in front of me yet to make the case for extending it longer, but I had two weeks to get them. That's not science, by the way. That's, that's the opposite of science. So in, in science, you check your preconceived notions or your conclusions or the results that you would like or any, anything that would advantage your political agenda. You check that at the door and you look at data in a very neutral way. You look for the pattern that emerges on its own and you draw your conclusion based on that pattern. You don't cherry pick data to fit the result that you want so that you, it, it, I mean, that's dishonest. That's, that's ideology. That's, that's, that's not science. Yet, this is exactly what Dr. Burks is admitting to. I didn't have the numbers in front of me yet to make the case for extending it longer, but I had two weeks to get them. So she wasn't analyzing the numbers that she had. She was looking for numbers that would justify 
her political agenda, what she wanted to do, which was a full Italian lockdown. She said, however hard it had been to get the 15-day shutdown approved, getting another one would be more difficult by many orders of magnitude. And she had no, she had no data to justify this. It was just something that she wanted. And so she, she tried to convince um, the president and the Trump administration to do this. And then, then what she says about social distancing. Now, thank goodness for American Heart for Gold. If you are like me, then you are growing more and more concerned about the future. Inflation is at its highest level in 40 years. Interest rates are skyrocketing. And market experts like Jamie Dimon, who is the CEO of JP Morgan, they're not only predicting that we will face a recession here in the United States, but they're using terms like economic hurricane and unprecedented. Kind of gives you the chills. All it takes to get started is a short phone call and they will have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or perhaps inside your IRA or 401k. And they make it easy. They are the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. If you call them right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first order. So don't wait. Call them now. Call 866-781-7499. The phone number is 866-781-7499. Or if you prefer text message, you can text my name, Liz, L-I-Z, to 65532. Again, the phone number is 866-781-7499. Or you can text Liz to 65532. You'll be glad you did. So then Dr. Burks really reveals how radical and extreme and tyrannical the inside of her mind is when she talks about social distancing. This is what she says. The real problem with this 50-person versus 10-person distinction, the amount of people that they were debating, uh, recommending, could, uh, could gather together, for me, was that it revealed that the CDC simply didn't believe to the degree that I did that SARS-CoV-2 was being spread through the air silently and undetected from symptomless individuals. The numbers really did matter. As the years have since confirmed, she writes, in times of active viral community spread, as many as 50 people gathered together indoors, unmasked at this point, of course, was way too high a number. It increased the chances of someone among that number being infected exponentially. I had settled on 10, knowing that even that was too many, but I figured that 10 would at least be palatable for most Americans. High enough to allow for most gatherings of immediate family, but not enough for large dinner parties and critically large weddings, birthday parties, and other mass social events. So her recommendation was not based on science. It was based on just how far she felt politically she could push the American people. This unelected bureaucrat who I never cast a vote for, you never cast a vote for, who, if and when she abused her power, we have no recourse to hold her accountable for that abuse, who was serving in a, in a role so powerful that Dr. Fauci was the face of, of the COVID task force at the Trump White House. But Dr. Burks was the, ones who, was the one who was calling the shots behind the scenes. One of the most powerful people in the world who was dictating to us that we couldn't gather with more than 10 people, not based on any science that showed that that number was, was, was scientific, but based on the fact that she thought that's how far she could push us politically, that, that she couldn't push us any further, but she wanted to push us right up to the end. This is what she says next. If I pushed for zero people, which was actually what I wanted and what was required, this would have been interpreted as a lockdown, the perception that we were all working so hard to avoid. Zero people? Isolation? It's almost renders me speechless to hear a government official 
tell us that they don't want us to be with any other people, that they want the government, whether it's local, state, or federal, it doesn't even matter. It's a difference without a distinction. To force us to separate from our spouses, to separate from our children, to be in complete solitary confinement based on a virus that has over uh, over a 99, and for most young healthy people, over a 99.9% survival rate. Burks admits in her book that, that, she, that she deliberately fudged the data. She deliberately edited documents to hide data that, that, that was false, that, that played into her desire to have us all socially isolated, all of us in solitary confinement in an Italian-style lockdown. This is what she says. She's talking about making the weekend COVID reports. And she says, after the heavily edited documents were returned to me, I'd reinsert what they had objected to, but place it in those different locations. I'd also reorder and restructure the bullet points so the most salient, the points the administration objected to most, no longer fell at the start of the bullet points. I shared these strategies with the three members of the data team also writing these reports. On Saturday and Sunday, report writing routine soon became write, submit, revise, hide, resubmit. Fortunately, she says, this strategic sleight of hand worked. That they never seemed to catch this left me to conclude that either they read the finished reports too quickly or they neglected to do the word search that would have revealed the language to which they objected. In slipping these changes past the gatekeepers and continuing to inform the governors of the need for the three, the big three mitigations, masks, sentinel testing, and limits on indoor social gatherings, I felt confident that I was giving the states permission to escalate public health mitigation with the fall and winter coming. This is what I was talking about before with, with Joe Biden's current White House Coronavirus Task Force uh, director talking about how they write the guidelines and then they disseminate these guidelines as directives for state and local governments to enact. And it, it allows everyone to, to point to someone else uh, to bear the responsibility. It allows local governments to say, oh, the state did it. It allows state governments to say, oh, the federal government recommends this or wants this. And it allows the federal government to defect uh, blame when the American people don't like this. They can say, well, we just followed the science. We just put out recommendations. You know, if you have a problem with, with these, these policies, take it up with your state and local governments. It's a circular firing squad of blame. And it's a deliberate attempt, a deliberate attempt to allow swamp creatures, administrative state forces, unelected bureaucrats with no accountability to us, like Dr. Deborah Burks, to actually call the shots, to ruin our lives, to lock us down, to close our businesses, to prohibit us from going to church, to arrest us for being on a beach. This, this woman admits what she did, that she lied. She said, this wasn't the only bit of subterfuge that I had to engage in immediately after the Atlas. She's talking about Scott Atlas, the voice of reason. Immediately after the Atlas influenced revised CDC testing guidance went up in late August, I contacted Bob Redfield at the CDC, Robert Redfield. Less than a week later, Bob and I finished our rewrite of the guidance and surreptitiously posted it. We'd restored the emphasis on testing to detect areas where silent spread was occurring. It was a risky move, and we hoped everyone in the White House would be too busy campaigning to realize what Bob and I had done. We were not being transparent with the powers that be in the White House, she said. 
So this guidance, this advice that was coming from the Trump administration at the time was not something that the Trump administration signed off on. It was not something that anyone elected or even appointed by the Trump administration was knew about. This was directives that impacted your life and my life that Deborah Burks was doing behind the backs of our elected officials. She said, the guidance gambit was the only the tip of the iceberg of my transgressions in my effort to subvert Scott Atlas's dangerous positions. Ever since Vice President Pence told me to do what I needed to do, I'd engaged in very blunt conversations with the governors. I spoke the truth that some White House senior advisors were not willing to acknowledge. Censoring my reports and putting up guidance that negated the known solutions was only going to perpetuate COVID-19's vicious cycle. What I couldn't sneak past the gatekeepers in my reports, she writes, I said in person. So she was giving governors direction in person where there was no paper trail, no email, nothing on a website, no, no briefing, nowhere that she could be held accountable for this. And she said it to them in, in person. By the way, Scott Atlas, Scott Atlas played an enormous part in, in blunting the damage that Deborah Burks was inflicting on, on the American people. And uh, thank God for Scott Atlas. Now, I like Nutrafol because it's natural and it works, which is a win-win for crunchy people like me. We all know that half the people watching this show right now are balding men. Yes, you, you know who you are and there is no shame to this. There is, however, a holistic solution for you, for men, that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness without drugs or prescriptions. It's called Nutrafol. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without any compromise. And what I mean by compromise is Nutrafol is made of 21 potent natural ingredients that support sex drive, better sleep, and less stress too. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six months. So what I mean is you can grow thicker, healthier hair, and you can support our show, another win-win, by going to Nutrafol.com and entering my promo code, Liz, to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, you'll get free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. It's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Liz. Nutrafol.com, promo code Liz. Okay, so Scott Atlas um, is, is a doctor who um, I've spoken to and interviewed many times. He's extremely smart. He follows the data. He doesn't have preconceived notions. And if he makes a mistake, he's willing to own up to it. And he will demonstrate exactly what caused him to change his mind on any various assertion that turns out to be untrue. It's, it's the definition of both professionalism, intellectualism, and humility, which is exactly what you want in a public health official. So I think very highly of Scott Atlas, as did as do a lot of people who've spent a lot of time studying this. Um, Deborah Burks did everything she could to undermine him, which kind of tells you what you need to know baseline about Deborah Burks. But um, early in in the early in during COVID in the pandemic, this was actually April 2020. A doctor from Stanford named Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, I interviewed him at the time about this paper. He actually conducted a seroprevalence study to see how much, uh, how many asymptomatic infections there were, how many people had antibodies, what was the natural immunity of this virus, to see how quickly this would um, not, not, only, not only pass through our population, but also to, to calculate what the infection fatality rate is. Because it's hard to, to know how many people are, or what percentage of people who contract the virus will die from it if you don't know how many people have had it and, he and, and healed, how many people have antibodies to it. 
um, without either getting sick or without dying. So he conducted his first seroprevalence study and it, 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 it was well done. It was professional. Um, it, it also revealed what, um, what a lot of professional, a lot of epidemiologists who weren't compromised by leftist ideology, like John Ioannidis, for example, um, what they had been, been speculating for since the very beginning, John Ioannidis, we'll move back just a second. John Ioannidis, he's also from Stanford. He had said after um, the Carnival cruise ship that the infection fatality rate of COVID based on that limited contained experiment of just the cruise ship passengers, that it was not the 3.6% that we were being told by the World Health Organization in March of 2020, but that it was probably less than one because of the, the elderly population on this cruise ship, less than 1% of people died and they're at high risk. So following that, you'd think that that would have been something that public health officials and politicians um, wanted to hear, that they that they were relieved to hear and that they would base their uh, policy on. No, they ignored that. So then we have Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who ran the seroprevalence study to see if Dr. Ian Nidis's analysis of the, of the cruise ship was accurate or whether it was inaccurate. Bhattacharya um, found that, yes, it was accurate, and he predicted that it would become endemic, like the flu or like a common cold. And um, when Dr. Burks looked at this study in April of 2020, and this she addresses this with, with next to nothing, with less than a sentence in her book, even though this was a pivotal study, a pivotal study that steered those of us who have been correct about COVID from the beginning, it steered us towards the science and towards mitigation techniques and thus public policy and personal health um, mitigations that actually work. And this is what Burke said. She said that she looked, she took one look at Bhattacharya's study and found, quote, fundamental flaws in logic and methodology and decided that this study, quote, damaged the cause of public health at this crucial moment in the pandemic. And now you might be wondering, okay, well, what are these fundamental flaws? I mean, Bhattacharya is human, you know, he, he could make an error. What are these flaws? What's, what's the flaw in logic and methodology? She doesn't say. She never identifies what exactly was the flaw. What, what, what's the problem with the methodology? What's the error in logic here? She doesn't say. She dismisses maybe the single most, the second, maybe the second most important study after Ioannidis' cruise ship, um, cruise ship study. This is the second most important study at the beginning of the pandemic, and she just dismisses it without telling us why. And this is what Dr. Bhattacharya tweeted since, since Deborah Burks' book came out. He says, during his short White House stint, Dr. Scott Atlas called me every day to discuss new COVID papers. Often, he'd complain about Burks and Fauci's incuriosity about collateral lockdown harms. Think about that for a second. The people that were strong-arming the state and local governments to lock you and I down didn't care whether this was going to have an impact on people's mental health, didn't care about the physical health ramifications of closing down hospitals and canceling surgeries and not detecting cancer, didn't care about people losing their jobs and how job loss and poverty is related to earlier death, didn't care about the about the statistical calculations of years lost of so, off of someone's lives based on their socioeconomic status. In curiosity, Dr. Bhattacharya said, these are the people that were, that were behind the COVID lockdowns. And we knew it. We could see it happening, but to hear it from her own mouth in this book. So she writes about when she first realized, and this is so made up, it's absurd. She writes when she first realized how serious COVID-19 was. And she talks about seeing a video out of Wuhan, China. And this is what she says, quote, 
The video showed a hallway crowded with patients slumped in chairs. Some of the masked people leaned against the wall for support. The camera didn't pan so much as zigzag while the Chinese doctor maneuvered her smartphone up the narrow corridor. My eye was drawn to two bodies wrapped in sheets lying on the floor amid the cluster of patients and staff. The doctor's colleagues, their face shields and other personal protective equipment in place barely glanced at the lens as she captured the scene. They looked past her as if at a harrowing future they could all see and hoped to survive. I tried to increase the volume, but there was no sound. My mind seamlessly filled that void, inserting the sounds from my past, sounds from other worlds, other places of great sorrow. I had been here before. I'd witnessed scenes like this across the globe in HIV-ravaged communities, when hospitals were full of dying people, people dying of AIDS before we had treatment or before we ensured treatment to those who needed it. I had lived this, and it was etched permanently in my brain, the unimaginable, devastating loss of mothers, fathers, children, grandparents, brothers, and sisters. End quote. This is the moment, according to Dr. Deborah Burks, that she knew the COVID-19 pandemic was a serious thing. Dr. Burks' book was just published in, in this year, in 2022. The video that she's referring to is a fake video. It was doctored. It's not accurate. It's probably Chinese communist propaganda, although that's difficult to prove. But regardless of who made it, it's fake. And we've known that that video was fake for two years. It was debunked in the spring of 2020. And yet two years later, Dr. Deborah Burks, who maybe is one of, maybe arguably, she and Fauci share responsibility. But if she's not the person most responsible, then she shares that with Fauci. The person most responsible for the lockdown based her judgment of how serious this virus was on a video, a fake video out of China. It's, it's almost ironic that someone who admitted to falsifying reports to get there to, in, in, in pursuit of their own political agenda would fall prey to someone else falsifying a video in, in pursuit of their political agenda. And Burks told the Daily Mail just this week that she was aware that this virus from the beginning, she was aware that this virus likely came from a lab because she said, quote, COVID-19 came out of the box ready to infect. This is back in December of 2019. She said COVID was already more infectious than the flu when it first arrived. And you can contrast this, an epidemiologist or a, uh, a viral infection specialist knows that it, it generally takes time, months, maybe even years for a virus to be as highly infectious to humans as COVID-19 was right out of the gate. She actually said, Burke said, either COVID-19 was an abnormal thing of nature or it had essentially leaked from a lab where uh, lab workers were working on coronavirus vaccines and maybe maybe it leaked, maybe they got infected and thus it, it spread. She says, it happens. Labs aren't perfect. People aren't perfect. We make mistakes and there can be contamination, she said. She knew from the beginning that COVID-19 was probably leaked from that lab in Wuhan, China, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And yet what happened to you and I? We were told we were conspiracy theorists. We were told we were racists and xenophobes. We were told we were responsible for anti-Asian hate when we pointed out the fact that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was an unsafe lab run by the Chinese communists, funded by Fauci, that was doing gain-of-function research on bat-derived coronaviruses to, in order to juice them up and make them more transmissible and more lethal to humans. This is what we said, and we had proof of it. And we were, we were blocked on Facebook. We were censored on Twitter. We were told that we were conspiracy theorists and we weren't allowed to talk about this, that we were actively harming 
harming people around the world by perpetuating this fake news. And Dr. Burke says, yeah, it's from a lab. And I knew that from the beginning because it acted like a virus from a lab. It didn't act like a naturally, a natural born virus. Scott Atlas, by the way, published a book too, talking about his experiences with Dr. Burks. And, and he said, he said, and this is a quote from his book, Dr. Fauci held courts in the public eye on a daily basis so frequently that many misconstrue his role as being in charge. However, it was really Dr. Burks who articulated task force policy. All the advice from the task force to the states came from Dr. Burks. All written recommendations about their on-the-ground policies were from Dr. Burks. Dr. Burks conducted almost all the visits to states on behalf of the task force. She lied. Dr. Deborah Burks deliberately fudged information, deliberately misconstrued and hid numbers, data that informed public policy, policy that impacted you and I. She circumvented the elected president of the United States and she directed states individually without leaving a paper trail sometimes as an unelected bureaucrat, as a force, a, a tool of the administrative state. She knew that COVID-19 came from a lab, came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. She, and by the way, by the way, she ignores in this book, she never once mentions why exactly she left the, the White House COVID task force. She doesn't mention the fact that during lockdowns that she, she was the driving force behind, she broke lockdown, that she went and, and gathered with her family and, and traveled when there were travel restrictions, that she violated the rules that she had put into play and that she was caught doing that. And that's why she resigned because she looked like the elitist hypocrite that she is. That's why she resigned. But in this, in this 500-page book, she doesn't have one sentence to address that. One, one sentence of apology, one sentence of acknowledgement, just even, even just um, acknowledging the history, the reality, the objective truth of what happened. Nothing, not one sentence. Meanwhile, you were locked down. Your business was shuttered. You were forbidden from church. You weren't allowed to visit your parents in the nursing home. You weren't allowed to be with family members in the hospital as they died. You were forced to wear a mask and to put masks on your toddlers. You faced a vaccine mandate or threat of loss of your job. You were told that the harm you suffered from the vaccine was not real. It was fake. It was invented. It was disinformation. You were told not to question the experts because the science has spoken. Well, it turns out the experts lied. And they admit, Burks admits in her book that she lied. She admits that, that she fabricated data and that she did this on purpose to achieve a political agenda that she thought wouldn't be palatable to our elected representatives and to us, the American people. And now they're trying to do it again. We think that we've come to the end of this, but looking three and a half, four months till the midterm elections and you know two years and three and a half or four months until the next presidential election, these same people are trying it again. They're trying it with COVID, but they're also trying it with monkeypox. The World Health Organization has announced that they might declare monkeypox a global health emergency. And I, I, I hope they do because it, it, it should prove once and for all to anybody who has a shred of confidence less, left in the World Health Organization and public health officials that they're a joke that they're a fraud, that they're, that they're corrupt. The United States government has acquired 7 million doses of the monkeypox vaccine. And we have, we have Dr. Fauci trotting out on CNN saying, we have to take monkeypox seriously. They are trying to strike fear in the hearts of the American people to justify what they want to do with election policies come November of 2022. And then again, in November of 2024. And I said, I said this to my husband when I read the headline about Fauci telling us we had to take monkeypox seriously. I said, I promise I will wear, I will wear a mask and a face shield the next time that I'm in a gay bathhouse or at a, at a, a orgy festival in, in, in Europe and at risk of getting monkeypox. 
because that is how monkeypox is transferred. That is, that is uh, where you are at high risk of contracting monkeypox. They're trying to do it again. They're trying to force us in, in, into lockdowns. But more importantly, they're trying to force us into fear so that we're willing to hand over our rights. We're willing to allow our businesses to be closed, allow our children to be masked, allow them to suffer through Zoom school, that we, that we see our life savings go down the drain, our restaurants closed, our economy tank, that we see ment- a mental health crisis, suicide skyrocketing. They're trying to manipulate us into that place. Again, do not fall for it. Speak out. Don't trust the experts without questioning. Question the experts. Be skeptical. Abolish the administrative state. If we did not have the administrative state, none of this would have happened. Without the administrative state, there would be no Dr. Fauci. There would be no Dr. Burks. There would be no COVID-19 task force dictating to states what they are supposed to mandate on us, the American people. I know a lot of people gave the White House task force and even the Trump administration the benefit of the doubt during that 15 days to slow the spread. Do not fall for that. Again, refuse the lockdowns. Vote these people out. Any politician who was squishy in the slightest, vote them out. Do not fall for this ever again, because the next time it will be too late. Dr. Burks herself admits this. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Actually, before we go, if you want to head over to the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals, we're going to talk about the Tekel Sundberg shooting. Um, A young black man was shot by police in Minneapolis and Black Lives Matter is already, already protesting on his behalf, but they're leaving out some pretty important parts of this story. So we're going to break it down. Go over to lizwheelershow.com slash locals. If you use my promo code, which is access, access is the promo code, then you can watch for free for the first month of your annual subscription. lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.